we had a, what I would call a normal bell curve. We had some executives that accepted the challenge, open-armed, they embraced it, they were engaged, there were some that were disengaged, and there were some in shock, uh, and, and a good deal of shock throughout the process. It was almost, I would say, I hate to make generalizations, but it was almost like a bell curve. To be engaged on one end, the disengaged on the other, and most folks are in shock. This is the Leadership 480 Podcast. Welcome back to the Leadership 480 Podcast. I'm Matt Pace, your host, and we have something special for you today. As some of you may know from previous episodes in which I've been a guest on this show, I work closely with boards, CEOs, and executives as a coach and a consultant. And today we're shaking things up a bit on Leadership 480, and I'm sitting in the host seat because right now, as we work through a global pandemic, absolutely everything has been shaken up. And that puts a lot of pressure on executive leaders who are faced with making really tough decisions in this time. To talk about that, I've got a very special guest with me today, Kevin Cabot. Kevin is the former CEO and board chair of Fifth Third Bank Corp and currently chairs the board for NISource, a large energy provider covering the Midwest and Northeast. And he's the lead independent director for Unum Group, the dis a disability and life insurance provider to over 36 million people across the country. Add to that the many community and charity boards and committees that Kevin is on, and you have one very experienced leader with us today. Kevin, welcome. Thank you, Matt. Good to be with you today. So Kevin, in your leadership, both as a CEO and a member of multiple boards, you've led organizations through more than one crisis, financial meltdowns, safety catastrophes, just to name a couple. But you've also managed to see them through to success more than once, as you know, and I know you're going to share some of that with us, but I'm going to start out with a question about the way you see executives react in times like this. So in your experience, what are the strongest impulses or reflexes among executives in times of crisis? And what I mean by that is, how are they most inclined to react? And what do they get wrong? Yeah, it's a good question, Matt. And, and I would say to you, I guess, in my career, I've been lucky to experience two crises. Most of these black swans only come across once in a generation, but I've unfortunately uh, kind of fit two in uh, from that perspective. So, yep, I have experienced some of these. You know, when you when you ask a question about uh, uh, executives in times of crisis and how they are inclined to react to them, you have to remember that executives are people too. It's human nature. So, in times of crisis, human nature oftentimes gets revealed, and and just like uh, you and I, uh, most people are the same in that, in the sense that they, they actually uh, reveal their own human thoughts, sometimes frailties in those situations. And so you really get to see a broad swath of how executives handle it. In my example, I would tell you that, you know, we, we had a, what I would call a normal bell curve. We had some executives that accepted the challenge open-armed, they embraced it, they were engaged, there were some that were disengaged, and there were some in shock, uh, and, and a good deal of shock throughout the 
process. It was almost, I would say, I hate to make generalizations, but it was almost like a bell curve. You have the engaged on one end, the disengaged on the other, and most folks are in shock. I would tell you that the engage can play a very, very important and key role in getting an organization through that crisis by getting the kind of the middle bell curve moving in a positive direction, doing things really that are helpful and um, moving the, the, the corporation and peers in, in a very positive uh, direction. You asked me also about, you know, so what, what do executives um, do wrong? Um, and, and I would tell you that, you know, there can be a lot of specifics there, but I think one of the biggest mistakes that we as executives make in that timeline, particularly when you're talking about a crisis, is that we don't broaden the base. By that, what I mean is we don't count on or expand the number of people included in um, understanding, learning, assessing, and developing a game plan relative to approach. We oftentimes feel as leaders and executives that it's up to us, because that's how we, you know, many of us kind of advanced our careers, right? We were the problem solvers. We were the ones who kind of advanced the ball. And and in times of crisis, this is, we're not talking about little crisis. We're talking about black swan, never experienced before in our generations in these types of crises that we're talking about. It's not a one person problem. And so broadening the base, I think is the biggest issue where get more people, get more input, get more assessment uh, as you develop your game plan for moving forward. I think that's the biggest mistake we as executives can make at this time. <laughs> that's interesting. It, it really leads to the next thing I wanted to ask you about, which is see if you can take us into, if you will, in quotes, the situation room. So, you know, let's say you and your senior team and maybe even one or more board members are around a table and, you know, you're looking at options, trying to frame how you're going to go forward. Um, You know, you're talking about cost cutting options, but you're trying to maintain continuity. That's a lot of lot of talk about that right now in this coronavirus crisis. What's what's the recovery going to look like? When is it coming? Um, You know, how how deep are we going to go into recession it's it's hard to know but as you're sitting and evaluating all the bad alternatives how do you weigh your options and and how do you how do you frame the needs of your people with the needs of the bit excuse me the needs of the business both both short and long term mm-hmm. yeah that's a that's a great question and, and it is it is situation situational <laughs> so in the situation mm-hmm. room really kind of depends I would tell you there's an awful lot of differences between the Great Recession is pandemic. And so making generalizations about them as one is not right. I mean, they are really different. They are very separate. And I'll explain that a little bit more as we as we go on in our conversation, I'm sure. I think, though, um, as I think about some of my experience and as I think about the, the recession, the Great Recession, for example, uh, one of the things that was uh, as an outcome of that that I think was very positive led by the Fed, in, in my case, uh, in banking, was, was really developing muscles during that time period that we'd never really developed before. And specifically, I'm, I'm talking about scenario planning. Um, in our case, in banks, it was capital planning. What would you do if these different scenarios occurred? And how would you react to them? What would you do about them? And it really took you down 
a path of really kind of thinking, you know, pardon the phrase, but thinking really outside the box, outside of the norm, and really trying to understand what the ramifications to the business and to your people and to your constituents really uh, were. And so that was a really helpful uh, thing for us. As I, as I said, um, this crisis, this pandemic is very different. This black swan is, is really different. And, and if I were to have asked you or this group that we're talking to today, um, if you'd have been able to define for me four to six weeks ago what social distancing was, I doubt many people would be able to really express what we all know and have learned so far today. So one of the things that I would tell you in a crisis in the situation room is that it's not a one-time thing. Uh, crises are dynamic by the very nature. They change and we learn minute by minute in some cases, hour by hour, certainly day by day all the time. And so really being fluid in terms of understanding what the situation is and making those assessments becomes really critical again having eyes and ears and understanding all the ramifications are really important as you go through a, a, a crisis of this nature. But also say in, in this uh, particular situation, and you mentioned it, Matt, in your question about, you know, kind of the bad alternatives, how do you weigh the options up, up et cetera. You, you've really got, in this case, a very symbi symbiotic relationship, right? So you've got the health of your people and the health of your company. And, mm -hmm. and by the way, you can't have either fail because one doesn't survive without the other. So that really sets up a very difficult challenge, a very, very um, critical situation where you've got to be very mindful of the things that you're going to need to identify and assess that are critical needs for both of those conditions uh, to exist, right? You've got to keep the health of the business going. You've got to keep the health of your people um, mindful. You need both uh, to get through the crisis. And so elements of what we would do, quote unquote, normally don't matter. What, what becomes really important then is focusing on those specific items of success, the health of your business and the health of your people and, and, and really peeling away all of the other noise is critical to success. I'll give you a, an example I learned from my own son. It's a true story. And my son, who's now we just celebrated his 37th birthday, he's a major in the U.S. Army. Very proud of him. When he was a young boy, he was very interested in the new technology that was coming out, and particularly in some games. He wanted to learn. Uh, he wanted me to get for him a game that was all about flying airplanes. Uh, I said, finally, I broke down and I got it for him. And, and as was usual in those days, right, because I'm a little bit older than, than you, is I, would, I, would, I loaded the software and I proceeded to sit my son next to me and show him how the software worked. And this is one of those software games where, you know, you got your assignment, you were a pilot, and you had to accomplish mm -hmm. the mission in order to be pr promoted. And so mm -hmm. I walked him through all that. We, we, I showed him by 
moving the plane out to the runway. We got it out to the runway, and I took off. And as I took off, I was instantly surrounded by enemy aircraft, shot me down. I don't even think I made 100 feet. We did that several <laughs> times. And fortunately for me, the phone rang. And so I said to my son, just hang out here for a minute. I'll be back to teach you more. And I took the phone call. It was a business call. It lasted for about 20 minutes. And I came back. And there was my son playing in the game. And he got and watching. And he got his new assignment. And as he was now a lieutenant colonel. I said, oh, my gosh. Son, how did you do that? That is Show me. What did you do? How did you do that? That was great. And so... He got his new assignment, got into the jet, and he taxied out, and he just kept driving the plane and accomplished his mission by never leaving the ground. And I said, Matt, you can't do that. You're in, you're in an airplane. He drove over water. He said, Dad, I'm a lieutenant colonel. The, <laughs> and the point, the point of the story, Matt, is he, he got over and, and prioritized his biggest problem. He didn't fly. Accomplished the mission. He cut out things that you would have thought normal by just dealing with it as a problem to be solved later. Something that he refocused and reprioritized is not necessary to the mission. That's the type of out-of-the-box thinking you need in a crisis and you need people around you kind of thinking about to help you be successful in um, the problems that you have before you. So that's the type of focus. That's the type of uh, thinking you need really to be successful. It's it's such a vivid story, and and I think we can all relate to what it feels like to give something away to someone, not certain that they can do it. And to your point, I guess maybe maybe having some default assumptions that people can't do what they might be fully capable of doing, and yeah. and. And so it relates back to your point about broadening the base, doesn't it? Because there's yeah, probably more opportunity does. in it. Yeah. Yeah, you're, and you're exactly right, Matt. You you will be pleasantly. It's one of the learnings you have when you come out of these. It, you, you get both sides of that coin, unfortunately. But one side of that coin is you will be pleasantly surprised by some of the people and some of the stories and some of the talent that really steps up to help. Let's talk about talent a little bit more. And this is a scenario that um, I, I'm raising this because a lot of our listeners are are people who are keenly interested in this component of how to lead through a crisis. And they, I think, I think a lot of times they are up against a a way of thinking that they're unfamiliar with, or or perhaps they just don't know how to navigate the rationale of how to think about talent. So I'll I'll, I'll position this with a, a simple scenario. Let's say, you know, you're back in the situation room, and one of your senior leaders makes the case that, look, you know, yeah, I can see that talent's important and we should invest in it, but we just can't right now. We we've got a business to take care of. We got to wait till things stabilize, and then we can think about talent. What what do you what do you say to that? What's the right way to think about that kind of position? Well, you know, what I, the way I think um, in a situation like that is that it's always about talent. I mean, at the end of the day, it, particularly in my business, my business sold a product that every one of my competitors had. There was no difference between 
my dollar bill and the dollar bill from the bank down the street. So uh, I believed very, very strongly that the key differentiation of success in our business was the people and talent that we had in the organization and the, and the systems and processes we put in place to nurture that talent. So to me, it was never a trade-off. Now, having said all that, obviously, one of the biggest challenges I think this pandemic has is that it has created an environment where you can't gather people in a room to solve mm-hmm. your problem, right? So, and, and there's another thing, though, that I think will accelerate, and you'll see on the other side of this, ways of doing business that were probably adhered to or thought of or occasionally used, but will be, will be dramatically more impactful in the future. And that's technology. And that's being able to really, uh, you know, utilize technology in a way to communicate, in a way to problem solve, in a way to run the business that we, we really probably didn't fully leverage or contemplate uh, in a way that's really meaningful today and will be mm-hmm. tomorrow as well. Because beyond what the way we think about it for our talent and for our people, you've got a whole bunch of constituents as well, and our customers specifically, that are going to need, want uh, to be reassured and still communicated to, but in a very different way. And so, so I, I say that, you know, it, it's not, it, you do need to prioritize, you do need to focus on uh, the things at hand, but, but, but don't, don't miss the prize. Don't, don't confuse what really is important today, tomorrow, and forever with the crisis of today. And you asked me earlier about, you know, one of the big mistakes that executives make. Well, one of the big mistakes the executives make is when the house is on fire, when the house is burning, is looking for the match. Doesn't help. Looking for the fire bucket and water helps a lot. And so that's the prioritization that has to take place and keeping your people first and, and in that mindset, in that uh, frame of mind, I think becomes really critical. So one of the things we did through our crisis is we increased communication by over 60% to folks. And, and that was without all the tools that we have today. And so I would view that as something that's really important and really critical to success in today's environment that doesn't interfere with or, or uh, uh, cloud the water uh, to solutioning and getting through this crisis. Did you have to redeploy talent and, and, and did you redeploy talent in a way that uh, created change? Yes. And a short answer, very much so. I mean, again, um, it's a crisis is very fluid. And so just when you think, you know, one thing you get new data, a new perspective, a new component of change that comes about that you really have to react to. And um, when it's all hands on deck, uh, you've, you've got to use everybody available. And, and this is a situation that's, to me, even uh, more challenging than the Great Recession was. I, I had my full team at all times. In this, in this pandemic, there are... Um, populations and people that were going to be impacted personally that you're not going to be able to leverage. 
that you're not going to be able to take advantage of uh, from that from that standpoint. But but we had to do that, and we did do that. We we moved teams, we moved talent. Uh, we took one of our very senior uh, executives on on the Exco um, committee reporting to me, and and we took him out of his role and put him into a role uh, specifically around uh, troubled assets, a, a function that, you know, before the crisis uh, hit was grossly uh, undermanned and, under, and understaffed. We didn't need it. Uh, and he really came out of his role as one of the senior leaders and took that and, de- and developed a muscle for us that really helped us get through the crisis in a much quicker, uh, much stronger way than some of our competitors. So, mm. You got me thinking about how this starts to affect leaders from a personal standpoint. I'm thinking about the leader who, you know, suddenly, you know, yesterday is is playing one role, managing one type of a business or component thereof. And then, you know, tomorrow it's, it's, utterly different. Um, when, when you've watched executives cope with, with crisis, um, how have you seen them handle the stress and the challenges and the, the, the chaos? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it, like I said, it, it, you know, to me, from, from my perspective and experience, we're talking about people and, and we're talking about teams and teams of people. And I would tell you that one of the most critical things for leadership at, at, at this time now is keeping people engaged and, or moving people to be engaged, right? That's, that's one of the biggest things you want to make sure that uh, you're able to do. And so um, as we did that, I would tell you, I, I saw executives very focused and very challenged uh, on, on moving everybody forward and addressing the issues and addressing the challenges that we as an organization had. Uh, and I still think that's a very critical uh, role. And if you do that well by communicating, building uh, loyalty, building a culture that promotes that and pride in the brand and pride in the organization and the people that we have, it's, not, it, it, it's, it's easier at time of crisis to move people in that engaged format. Once the crisis is over, I would tell you, Matt, that we saw a lot of, we saw, there's no generalization I can make, but we saw a lot of varying responses to after the crisis was over. In in some cases, we saw incredible growth by people. Um, They they changed, they grew, they really became uh, much better executives. Others we saw, you know, quite frankly, burned out. They, They redirected their uh, focus. They redirected their careers. In some in some cases, they left the business altogether uh, to do something totally different. Uh, from that that standpoint, mm-hmm. not good. It's not bad. It's just self learning. It's people understanding and getting exposed to who they really are, and then coming to different decisions about who they would have been had they not been challenged. And I think a crisis brings that out in a lot of people as well. So I think I think. I think you'll see that as well, but you'll have to have that fluidity. You'll have to be open-minded about where the biggest holes in the dike are that you need folks to be able to put their fingers in at the time that you wouldn't have thought about them prior to the crisis. That's, that's your flexibility. 
that you should be thinking open-minded about how best to solve the problem to keep it, keep everybody moving forward. You, you got me thinking now about some people who react in one direction and others who react in another direction. And earlier you mentioned there are some of your leaders who are going to quickly get engaged and, and others who, who may be more slow to do so and maybe never get there. In your experience, is there anything you can do to, to maneuver your talent in the midst of it to increase the likelihood that people are, are moving to the side of engagement and, and not to the other side? Yeah, I, 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 there is, there are some things you can do. I, what I would, what I would implore people, and again, it's, it's tough when we're talking today because we're in the middle of yeah. um, a crisis. But, but I, would, I would first say that, um, uh, you know, before a crisis hits, you should be investing in talent. You should be focused on uh, really kind of conveying to them how important and critical they are to the organization's success, to our future, to their future, to meeting goals, needs, and growth. And, and those are investments that pay you dividends, particularly in times of crisis, because those are the people, Matt, that were the first to step up. They were the first that didn't need me uh, to lead them or to shine the spotlight on. Those were the, those were the uh, ladies and gentlemen that really were impressive in terms of the things that they took on from that perspective. And as I said, a good portion of our people uh, in a crisis really are, are deer in headlights. They, they really don't know how to react. They don't know it. And they do need that, that positively engaged leadership communication and focus to get people moving. But it does start a stampede. It does begin to move everyone proactively uh, toward the right door and, and getting them focused on that. And I think, I think uh, really understanding and knowing and highlighting uh, those folks that are the positively engaged folks can help uh, become a multiplier in the organization to move everyone along that line. So again, I think your listeners today probably have a much greater challenge than I did in the recession because you, you don't have folks, you can't gather folks together where we could really share, look in the whites of their eyes, so to speak, and, and, con right. and convince them that these were the right things to do. So, finding ways to communicate, finding ways to reach out, develop those relationships, communicate to people what the expectations are, move people forward or keep them engaged is, is a critical challenge that uh, everyone in every organization today is, is thinking through and working on. You know, that those uniquenesses to today's challenge from ones you've experienced in the past and that many of us have experienced in the past are really, I think, I think what, what a lot of our listeners and a lot of organizations are trying to get their fingers on. And you, you have the benefit of hindsight. You know, you can look back at these and say, Here, here's what we did. And I'm, I'm sure you can identify things you, you might have done differently. But if you took stock of the things that, you know, you, you wish you would have done differently, and I won't ask you to, to go through them all, I'll ask you to maybe reposition them and say, when you think about the things that you would have, you know, the moments you'd like back or the things you might like different, might have done differently, what what do you think people might be missing right now? Um, you know, you just mentioned one, you know, the, the, the challenge of communication just got a lot harder. Um, are, are, are there other things based in your experience that, that you think people might be missing right now? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And Matt, your your point is dead on. That it's it's um, it's it's specific to the group, the industry, the business that you're in. I think the I think the thing I would say is that it can be a it can be a matter of almost everything and anything, right? But almost always, in my experience, it's it's faster and sooner. <laughs> Are the are the things that come to mind? So when you ask me about, I mean, we I, I mentioned that we increased our internal and external communication by over sixty percent from what we did previous previous to the crisis. I would have done I would do that faster and sooner. That was a strength that became a real differentiator for us. But in hindsight, I would tell you I would have done it faster. I would have done it sooner. The same is true of almost anything that you can think about or that you could identify as. Um, a component of focus and prioritization within, within your company. I, I'm sure your executives or your CEO is going to sit back afterwards and say, we should have done this faster. We should have done this sooner. Uh, we should have done it harder. Um, and, and like I said, I, I, I think you could apply almost anything to that. And those are the things that you're going to find are critical action moving forward and then having the ability to, uh, assess, reprioritize, and redirect. Those are skill sets and, and skill focuses you're going to need in this because you're going to be wrong. You're going to have to fix some of the things that you moved quickly on if you're good at it um, out of the box. You will be wrong, but, and, and hopefully you will be. I guarantee you. I mean, out of the 10 things, 10 big things we did, I'd say we got seven of them right. Uh, the last three we changed and we made them right and made them better or we stopped doing them. And that's the type of um, uh, learning and assessment and, and rear view mirroring that uh, I think executive teams and executives do and, and recognize going into this, that that's going to be a part of the process. And again, it goes back to that point. Look, look looking for the matches for what started the fire at this point doesn't matter. What matters is getting focused on the things that add value, uh, create progress, and move us forward uh, from that perspective. There's plenty of time later to go back and reassess kind of, you know, the things of we could have done better or who's to blame. But today it's all about uh, the health and, and the moving forward and the progress being made from that perspective, knowing that you're going to make some mistakes along the way all with the right things in mind to help us succeed. And that's really mm -hmm. the key to success in my mind. Mm -hmm. Okay, I've got one more for you. Um, you've, you've been giving us a really, a, a really in-depth view of um, sort of the organization and the way to uh, maneuver it from, from inside the, the senior team's conference room, so to speak. Um, but I'm going to just, in my last question here, invite you to talk a little bit more personally from your own experience, because I know, and you do too, that with every step upward in leadership, you get just a little bit more alone um, and a little bit more uh, isolated uh, if you're not careful. And so I'm wondering if if there's if if there's a moment as you think back through the crises that you've been through that affected you most as a leader, um, and and why it affected you and and how it affected you. 
Well, I, I would tell you, Matt, that you're exactly right in your question. You, you oftentimes, particularly in times of crisis, feel the burden on your shoulders of an organization. In our case, it was 22,000 employees. It was you know, close to three to five million customers that we felt a direct, I felt a direct accountability to uh, and responsible for. And, and what um, I would tell you is that, you know, that can be paralyzing, right? That's the, that shock group of folks. And w- what we decided to do, what I decided to do is really uh, get on the road, get become visible, uh, get out there and communicate uh, very, very specifically, even in times when, as you recall, during that time, I mean, many folks blamed us, blamed banks for the problem. Um, and, and what I found which was very moving to me was particularly with some of our, our most significant and I would tell you verbal uh, customers and uh, employees is how incredible they were in and thoughtful in making me feel better. I mean, and, and what it wasn't intended that way. I was supposed to make them feel better. And hopefully I did some of that, but I, I was returned that favor a thousandfold over in their stories and in their thanks and in their uh, communications to me about how significant and relevant the work and the people and the organization I was a part of meant to them. It was moving and it really, um, it really changed me, touched me very deep in, in a, in a crisis that, um, quite frankly, I needed at that time and they were they were fantastic so you know again it's part of you know that that uh not doing something and taking the risk to 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 step out and to do something changed the perspective of the outcome gave me more confidence to move forward gave me the ability to give our people more confidence to move forward and we did it helped pick up and accelerate our progress in a tremendous fashion. So it was uh, very, very moving uh, for me in that time period to be out talking with both our customers and our employees. So, Kevin, thank you for that. And, and thank you for your time today. Oh, I appreciate it, Matt. Thank you for what you guys do too. And thank you to our listeners for taking part of your 480 today to join us for this powerful conversation. And remember, make every moment of leadership count. 